Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Wendy Pease, author of The Language of Global Marketing. Translate your domestic strategies into international sales and profits. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Wendy Pease to talk about her book, The Language of Global Marketing, Translate Your Domestic Strategies into International Sales and Profits. Wendy Pease is the owner and president of Rapport International, a translation and interpretation services company specializing in marketing translation. She has worked with hundreds of companies to help them communicate across more than 200 languages and cultures. She also hosts the Global Marketing Show podcast, which features experts on opportunities and challenges in increasing multilingual lead generation and revenue. Wendy earned an MBA from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College, Go Big Green, <laughs> and a BA in Foreign Service and International Politics from Penn State, Go Nittany Lions. And interesting fact, when she was in third and fourth grade, she lived in a small farming village in Taiwan. And before that, she lived in Mexico City. Wendy, congratulations on the language of global marketing and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Ah, muchas gracias. It's ah, great to be here. <laughs> de nada. Aha. Uh-huh. So I, I spoke Spanish in uh, in college and for uh, when I was in high school, I lived in San Antonio, so it was a great place to learn mm. to speak Spanish. So were your parents uh, in the circus? Uh, almost. International agriculture. So <laughs> rather oh. than entertaining, they were growing. Right. And so were you like born in Mexico City or... No, I was actually born in the town that Penn State is in, um, so State College, Pennsylvania, the oh, center okay. of everything. And uh, my dad got into international agriculture. He went to work at the Rockefeller Foundation, actually work, worked with uh, Norman Borlaug, who got the Nobel Peace Prize for the work he did in agriculture. Interesting, interesting. Yes, and in reading the book, uh, your mother was also a, a Fulbright Scholar, as I recall. Yes, yes. So when I was in fifth grade and we moved back to the United States, she went to Penn State and ended up getting finishing her undergrad because in those days uh, you dropped out to get married and then she got her master's and PhD. She studied criminology. She's the nation's expert on boot camp prisons. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Yeah, so after my dad passed, she did a Fulbright scholarship and went to China to study their prison systems. Oh, wow. Well, then it makes a lot of sense why you're in this line of work as well as why you went to uh, Penn State. Um, but I, I thought, you know, maybe, yes. who knows, maybe they were in the circus. My dad was in the circus. <laughs> no. No, we moved a lot when I was growing up. I went to 10 different schools. And then the name of the circus he worked for was the United States Army. Oh. So, <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I went to the uh, school at the military base in Taiwan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then yeah. later I served in the army for a couple of years, and I can confirm it's definitely a circus. So well, let's get into the uh, book. I wanted to read an excerpt from the very beginning. You're writing, um, in this book, in addition to exploring the global opportunity and expanding upon global inbound, I will discuss how to build a strategy, what to know about technology and multilingual communications, what, what processes work best, how to translate your marketing content, and how to avoid pitfalls and use best practices. After you understand the foundational concepts, I will point out special considerations on handling incoming business, bringing people to your website, connecting across cultures, and the importance of diversity and inclusion. By the end of the book, you will understand inbound terminology and have a roadmap for how to launch into new markets. My goal is to show marketing experts, creative agency advisors, business owners, and leadership coaches a way to build a plan, have a process, and connect with resources to effectively use inbound principles to market internationally. Along the way, I share fun translation mistakes, cultural gaffes, and plenty of real stories. Well, I have earmarked every cultural <laughs> gaffe and joke, and I I can't wait to talk about some of these. Um, in fact, let me just mention one, okay? Uh, now, we're going to have uh -huh. a serious conversation, but there were a couple of them. Let's see. Uh, for those playing the home game, we're going to start on page 44. Uh, and this is one I'd heard of. You write, uh, when Coca-Cola expanded into China... They failed to realize that their brand name translation meant bite the wax tadpole <laughs> in many areas. And in some areas, it translated into female horse stuffed with wax. I could see how a lot of people would be turned off by that. But uh, like with a lot of these cultural gaffes, they may have been overlooking a, a niche that you know could have worked for them. I'd, maybe not. But I saw a video that you uh, created about why you wrote this book, and it was very interesting. And I'm going to include that video at your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. But I was wondering if you could talk about why you wrote this book, and it goes all the way back to a trip you took uh, to Morocco when you were younger. So take mm. us down the road to Morocco, Wendy Pease. Sure, yes. Oh, I'm so thrilled that you read the book in, in such depth. I'm really, really honored. So thank you. Yeah, so I was in my mid-20s and I had never done the uh, backpack trip through Europe um, like a lot of college kids do. And so I had saved up a money, a bunch of money and went and traveled for four months. And at one point, um, a friend of mine from Penn State, Sharon, she joined me and we went from the Rock of Gibraltar and took the ferry across the, the, the water and landed in Morocco. And when we got off the ferry, we were surrounded by a bunch of guys and they were trying to grab our bags. And we figured out they were taxi drivers, but still it was very intimidating. And the two of us like linked arms and stood huddled together trying to hold our bags with us. And we were, we were scared. And it was just about dusk. And we didn't know the culture. We didn't know the language. I had been traveling. She was just over there for a couple of weeks to travel around with me. But I had been traveling for months. I have been in multiple situations where I'm the only white person or only woman. Um, so it really stood out in my mind as a, a time that I was frightened. Um, and luckily, um, they were just trying to be nice, trying to get us to our hotel. We picked one and got there, and you know, it was probably 300 yards about away from where we were standing. <laughs> but you paid someone to drive you there. He didn't okay. tell you that how close you were, right? <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, so, you know, who knows even how much we paid because we were trying to figure out the currency. So it all worked out fine, and we had a marvelous visit, and, you know, we went to rock the Casbah and and had a marvelous time, but but it was a scary situation. And you met some others who were able to help you with uh, learning a little bit more about the culture and the some of the words to use, and and that was a sort of a turning point for when you then started having fun there, as I recall. 
Right. So on the ferry over, we had talked to a couple of guys that um, spoke Arabic. And when they got off the ferry, they were on their way. They knew where they were going. Um, and we had arrived around dusk and we were starving and wanted to go out and get dinner. And I can remember sitting on the edge of the bed going, do we go out there? And I, it, and I mean, if you know me, I have no fear of people, no fear of culture. So for me to be you know, giving you this image of me sitting on the edge of the bed. That's just not me. And uh, we decided to venture down into the lobby and the guys had shown up. They uh, came by to see how we were doing and how we were, uh, you know, making out. And so they ended up uh, taking us out to a restaurant to, you know, and we felt much safer and then got the lay of the land and, and try to understand what was going on. So it all ended up fine. I mean, there was a another situation a couple days later when we were sitting somewhere looking at a beautiful view and one of the local people started talking to us and asked us if we wanted a tour and so we thought he was just being nice and he brought us to his home and his wife was helping us put the headscarves on and he took us shopping to get the tea and then you know after a very wonderful afternoon he says okay now you have to pay me uh. <laughs> you know young and naive and hadn't realized that he was thinking we'd get we'd pay him we thought he was just you know being nice to the visitors <laughs> yeah well this interview is free wendy just in case you're wondering <laughs> in answer to your unasked question but from that you learned that that was sort of an awakening for you about wanting to learn more about other languages and cultures and something like that Yes. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I've always had that interest in other languages and cultures, but I see a lot of people that are running business or they're marketing or even sales executives that are looking to grow revenues. And if you don't look outside of your country right now, you're missing huge opportunities because the internet is connecting the world. I mean, we can see this well with everything that's been going on. So, I wrote the book to talk about how do you think about accessing markets outside of your home country? Yes, and let's set the stage with some facts here because I know you know there's a lot of CEOs that are saying, "Yeah, whatever, okay, uh, you know, sh show me, show me the proof." And half the marketing book podcast listeners are in the United States, so let's talk about some of the opportunities for U.S. firms who, based on your book, are leaving a lot of money on the table. And Wendy, I know that's an idiom. And after reading your book, we're not supposed to use idioms, but <laughs> they really are. You write that less than 1% of the 30 million U.S. companies export. And yeah. of those, 98% are small and mid-sized businesses. And unless you're a business like a health club or a restaurant or a dry cleaner or a hair salon, th that's going to be difficult. But other than that, more or less, exporters come from all industries, and you list uh, examples here. You know, manufacturing—that seems like an obvious one for you know folks, but it goes way beyond that. You've got consulting, accounting, consumer products, and food and beverage. Mm -hmm. uh, you've even got a ice cream client in Philadelphia that's exporting ice cream. You've got uh, marketing services. Look at your firm. Uh, medical devices, electronics, and and many more. In fact, tell us about that ice cream client. They're they must be over 150 years old. Yeah, they that one isn't a client of ours. They were the um, small business association winner of the exporter of the world. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I mean, exporter of the year, not world. <laughs> so they they won that award, and that's uh, and the reason I picked them is to highlight them um, because it's ice cream, and who'd have thought that you'd sell ice cream internationally? So I thought I thought it was a good example. That's why I included that one in there. Yes, that's great. And okay, so there's there. I mean, you go on with other details in the book about the big opportunities. And not only that, there are a lot of organizations that are willing to help you in many instances for free. In other words, like your state economic development people or the federal, uh, the U.S. government, and I'm sure it's in other countries as well, all kinds of grants that are available. Yes. Huge amounts of support. Yeah. And if you go to our website, the Report Translations website, and just look, go to the search icon on the top, 
right, you can type in grants and we put a list in there of all the direct contacts in the states with their emails and phone number. And there's still money available. I mean, they run the grant program every year. And I know right now they have money available and that money can go towards redoing your website and then translating your website. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they do this is that the balance of trade is off. And if you think of all the products and services that we bring into the United States, we're not sending it out. Yes. <laughs> so when I hear people worried about China beating us, I'm like, well, just sell into China. <laughs> bring the money in here. Yes. But you know, there was uh, one line in the book you mentioned a trade expert once told you that the biggest fear of exporting is not being able to speak the language. Hello, people. <laughs> Just yeah. call Wendy. And we're going to have links to everything. <laughs> you know what? And <clears throat> after reading the book, if you're like a good agency person, you make a distinction between what a prospect or a client wants versus what they need. And you've got stories in there, and I'm going to tell one in here. So if Wendy can't help you, she's going to get you pointed in the right direction. So just, yeah. uh, folks, just start there, and you'll save time. You'll probably save money. But I want to talk also about the language thing. In other words, they people think, oh, we'll just do it in English. But the very interesting research, uh, and I'll mention some of it. Over 90% of people who speak English as a second language want to read website content in their native language. Yes. And over 56% will spend more on purchases from translated websites. And yes. you, another one is uh, 72% of consumers are more likely to buy a product if the label or, or information is in their own language. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, got a couple of, let's see, um, 90% of internet users, when given the choice of a language, they always visit a website in their own language. So it was just a, a wake-up call. And I, I learned a lot and, you know, 300 and some books on the show. I haven't had a, a book about this topic. So it's, it was really a, it expanded my understanding of, of, of what, uh, what folks can do. And it's, there's a line in uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the movie mm-hmm. based on the play yeah, by estate. David Mamet. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Alec Baldwin says, the money's out there, people. You just got to pick it up. <laughs> You remember that? I don't remember that line, but it's, boy, it's, there were a lot of classic sales lines in yes. that movie. <laughs> and he says, the money's out there. You pick it up, it's yours. Up. And so I remember that. But I wanted to jump ahead. You write that Airbnb and Nike are two mm-hmm. examples of consumer-facing companies that effectively use translation on the on the website what are, what are and i wanted people to know that those are two that are really good example what are some mm-hmm. of the things that they are doing right okay so nike i love their running shoes i've run in their air pegasus for years so that's a favorite one and i love travel so airbnb so i picked those up because they're doing some really good things if you're going to go buy a nike product you are want to see People who look like you, doing sports like you, you want your local teams on there. So they have a very localized message and website. And so if I click on it here in the Boston area, I'm going to see the the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Revolution, um, all, all the teams that are local to here. They're assuming anybody who lives here is going to be a fan of them. Um, Whereas if you go over and and on their front page in the U.S., I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's something really big. If you go into their site for Argentina, football or soccer is going to come up first Mm -hmm. because it's a much bigger sport. Um, so they really thought it through. They get the emotion. They care. You know, their their message is everyone is an athlete. So that carries through to all the countries, and then they really customize it to the local local country. Airbnb, on the other hand, is a it, it, it's focused on people who are traveling around the world, and the people who are putting the content up are. They could be from all over the world. So they're more of a platform where the users are generating the content. And so what they've done is they have translated their standard words on how the description is, and they have a pattern. So they can 
you know, so if I go into Airbnb and I want to list something in there, it's going to come up with the translation, but then I can write the description in any language I choose and they leverage um, Google Translate or machine translate, I'm pretty sure it's Google Translate on there, to do the translation. And so users who are going on there know that it's not the company writing the descriptions of the place. And so you can get the gist enough to know. So I, I, in the book, I used an example of I've always wanted to go to St. Petersburg. And I went on Airbnb and I could tell that the place I was interested in, you know, that I searched out was close to the things I wanted to see. I could see it had a five-star rating. And then I could use machine translation to get the gist of what people who had stayed there said about it. So here are two global countries companies that really thought through their persona and how they wanted to relate to their marketplace. And they did it very successfully. Mm. And did you end up going to St. Petersburg? No, no, because I wrote the book during COVID. So I just had my dreams. (laughs) Well, if there are any listeners in St. Petersburg, please, please make sure to reach out to Wendy. She wants to visit you. I do. I do. You know, I want to ask you about something in that same video, you mentioned that this became sort of a pandemic project or a lockdown project in, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was that video or another thing I saw. You mentioned there was some Finnish word related to being <laughs> drunk at home in your underwear. <laughs> and not going out. Yeah, what, what, what was that? What is Calcidaconit. <laughs> And what does it mean? It means I'm at home, I'm in my underwear, I'm getting drunk, and I'm not going out. <laughs> oh, man. That's my new favorite word. It's so applicable. I mean, I'm not – not right now. I'm fully clothed. I, I know you're wondering, but it's – that's I love that word. And uh, I just thought, you know, she gets me, um, which, is, which is actually one of the things that you want people – to get when they're looking at a translated page, like, yeah, these people get me. It's like, uh, they, they aren't trying to sell me bite the wax tadpole. So, <laughs> Right. And see, it's a good thing you're talking to me because if you put that word into Google Translate, it translates into buttocks. Oh, really? <laughs> so it completely misses the meaning. That's the problem with Google Translate and doing your high-quality marketing oh. material. Well, speaking yeah. of buttocks, uh, Wendy, yeah, you're bringing it down to my level. There's another one I want to mention. <laughs> when Clairol, the hair care product, launched their curling iron called the Mist Stick in yeah. Germany, they must have forgotten to do their research. Mist is the slang word for manure in German. <laughs> Not many women wanted to use a manure stick on their hair. How do, you, how do you know that, Wendy? I mean, did you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Research. Yeah. Didn't you see all the citations in the back of the oh, book? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I know that women do not want manure on their hair. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> hey, I got another uh, COVID quarantine word for you. It's oh. a German word. Oh, what is it? Is it the one about the bacon? Uh, Kummerspect. Yes, grief bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Explain what that is. That one spoke to me as well. <laughs> right. Well, no, I heard in your other podcast you had lost weight. I did. I did. Get, but I, yeah. I put, uh, I did, but then I've been uh, bulking up for football season uh, in the uh, pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, it's the word comerspect. It's excessive weight gain from emotional eating. Oh, yeah. That doesn't apply to me, but yes. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so. No, no. Uh, that's, that's a great one. And actually, um, just to jump ahead, you've got a newsletter where you all explore these kinds of things. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go to our website, you can sign up for it or follow me on social media. Yes. But um, we're, we ha- we collect stuff like this yes. and put it out all the time. So Yeah, I'm going to include a link to that. Everybody can sign up for it. It looked like a lot of fun. Um, but let's jump ahead here. Uh, You know, we don't have to keep talking about manure sticks, but I appreciate you (laughs) indulging me. Now, you – it was funny to me. You you say you rarely see someone say, Wendy, I'm going to start exporting, and I have a strategic plan. I Mm. I got the impression you've never heard that. (laughs) No. Yeah. And instead, you refer in the book to a concept I love called accidental exporters. Yes. All these accidental exporters. So – what are some of the reasons that companies start this global marketing? It's almost like they stumble into it from a 
kind of a wide variety of things. It was on uh, page 14. <laughs> what are some of the, the ways that sometimes people start exporting? Well, marketers end up exporting because they're watching their analytics on their website mm -hmm. and see where people are coming in from. And if they're smart, they kind of go, huh, let me look at the buyer's journey. Are they completing the sale? And then they might say, I wonder what happens if I put some translation up. So we had a uh, client do that. He was getting German visitors. He translated into German and his sales went up. Um, we've got another client that they can see every time they release a Spanish blog, their number of visitors go up and they're selling into Central and South America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's marketers. Um, salespeople get into it because, you know, one of the leads is passed over and they're going, huh, I can close this sale. Yeah. And then they're like, well, what else could I close? <laughs> <laughs> what, else, what else is in there? What else is in there? Then you have a lot of leaders that are getting into it. Um, because you, you know, it's so interesting because on my Global Marketing Show podcast, I always ask, you know, what people's first experience is. And a lot of them have had early exposure to international uh, people. Mm -hmm. You know, either through their parents or work or where they lived or how they traveled or something. So they're not afraid. So a lot of the leaders that get into it are connected to another country or they want a vacation. Right. <laughs> They want to travel. Yeah. I know somebody that opened up in New Zealand because he wanted to go surfing there. <laughs> it seemed to me like as good a reason as any. So. Hey, it's legit. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, you better like the country you're doing business in because you will probably have to travel there. Yes. Well, uh, marketing, whether you're doing global, international marketing or not, is so much easier for me anyway, and much more effective when we know what a client's goals are, <laughs> what, mm -hmm. what their strategy is. And I, I seem to be, I, it just seems like I, I deal with a lot of companies that are just kind of chugging along and they, they're not, they don't really have any big goals or it's, or it's hard to find out what they are. They, they're not immediately apparent. So I was wondering if it applies to global translation. So I, I wonder if you explain, I guess, sort of the pros and cons or the implications of taking what you call a ready fire aim approach to multilingual marketing versus having a plan that is aligned mm -hmm. with your corporate strategy and goals. So it's become a lot more fluid than it was in the past. Before there was the internet, you had to have a strategy to go out. You had to really make a conscious effort. Now with the internet, um, people are finding you. You know, it's like your podcast. You have, you know, people from hundreds of countries or, you know, many countries l listening to your podcast. And so now it, you can be very reactive by, you know, your salesperson selling in China and your marketing person looking at markets in Germany and, you know, the leader wanting to go to New Zealand. Right. <laughs> you know? So if you start just knee-jerk reacting to everything, you're going to run into a problem. You're going to be spread too thin. So what's better is as a company, think about, what is your strategy this, you know, what is your strategy? What are your goals for this year? And then you have your marketing plan that should support that. And then you have your multilingual or your global expansion plan. And once you figure out the process for one country, then you can take it and duplicate it for another country. Right. And I think there was an example of uh, you gave as a, a company says like there's certain international markets we are proactively going after. And when you get a request from one of them, well, then that makes sense uh, mm -hmm. that maybe move it up the priority list. If it's something from an area that maybe you don't even have a distributor in or, or whatever, it, you, you can start to triage some of these requests and grow in the direction uh, that your company wants to grow. Right. It's your target market and your target personas. Yeah. Don't spend time doing things you're not specializing in right now. Right. There's an expression out there called say no to grow. But you have to know what to say no to. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. Yeah. But now we're getting right. all philosophical. There's another point that I want to make about picking where you go. Mm. A lot of companies in the U.S. will pick other English-speaking countries because they figure it's easier. Mm -hmm. But if all the companies are picking the other English-speaking countries, countries, then you've got more competition. So if you go to your state advisor, they'll really recommend, and you know that's what I talk about in the book too, is doing your market research on the countries because you may find out by 
spending, you know, little money on translation, you can have much bigger returns. So don't just consider the English-speaking countries. Absolutely. And you go into a fair amount of economics at the very beginning of the book. So, you know, focus mm. on fastest growing economies and also where there is more disposable income, things like that. So it's a very smart, yeah. smart approach. And what was it Winston Churchill said that the United States and Great Britain are a united people divided by a common language? <laughs> Right, right, right. I have heard that before. Like that. Yeah, so you can probably get yourself into all kinds of, of trouble there. But I want to play um, this one uh, bit from uh, comedian Steve Martin and then uh, talk about the English language. Well, let me give you a warning, okay? I was in Paris about two months ago, and it was just a little vacation. I was on the East Coast. I had seven days off and say, well, I'll just go over there and I'll go to Paris. But let me give you a warning, if you're going over there, here's an example. Chapeau means hat. Oof means egg. It's like those French have a different word for everything. <laughs> so you never appreciate your language till you go to a foreign country that doesn't have the courtesy to speak English. That came to mind when on chapter four on global English, and the very first subhead is English is not the global language. Now, Wendy Peace, do you run into a lot of people that kind of might secretly have the same attitude as Steve Martin in that in that bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. All the time. I'll talk to companies. They'll say, oh, yeah, we're, we're international. Oh, no, we don't need to translate. English is the global language. I'm like, mm, nope. Yep. You could be selling more, but, you know, we'll let you find that out. Yes. And, you know, some <laughs> of the things I already mentioned about people who want to read it in their own language. And there was a very interesting chart in your book on page 30 that I want to mention. And it's the you say there are over 7,000 languages in the world, but almost half the population speaks one of the top 10 languages as their native tongue. Mm -hmm. And then on the chart, which I found interesting, is that you've got the language and then you break it out, you total it, but you also break it out between native speakers and uh, people who speak it as a second language. And I just wanted to run down the list here. The top one is English over a billion, and then Chinese, over a billion, but they're very close. Mm -hmm. And the third is Hindi, Urdu, mm -hmm. and then Spanish, and then Arabic, and then French, and then Russian, and then Bengali, and Portuguese. It was very, mm -hmm. very interesting. And I just thought it was interesting that there are, it seemed like, relatively small number of native English speakers. So... Uh, mm -hmm. And that, and then I guess that also explains in another chart, you show that it's one of the top 10 languages on the internet. Which is interesting because this is based off of um, Common Sense Advisory's mm -hmm. uh, research, and their current research is coming out and saying that the internet, so this English is one of the top languages, but that's changing because a lot of websites and the internet really launched in English and you had to know English to use it. But now more local businesses are putting up websites and putting up content. Mm. So the percentage of English websites um, and users is trending down. Okay. Well, that, <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so particularly for people who are lulled into thinking that it's the People like Steve Martin, who thinks it's this uh, global <laughs> language. The other funny part of that bit that I didn't play is he says, uh, okay, so he gets to France, and he doesn't speak French. So what he does is he tries to speak English with a French accent. <laughs> yes. And then he says, okay, that didn't work, so I just spoke loudly. <laughs> oh. Well, do you remember the part in the book when I'm talking about my Uncle Art in Paris? Oh, right. right. <laughs> That's probably what put it in my head. Yeah. 
he uh, he gets all ready. He's got a you know this was pre internet, and he got his uh, little book all out, and he wanted to ask where the Louvre is. So he says, "Où est le Louvre?" And uh, you know had it all down pat. The person understood and responded, and he stood there dumbfounded. <laughs> Still didn't know how to get to the museum. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that's so funny. And it's actually part of that same bit from Steve Martin where he says, you know, you learn a few of these terms and you say it and they think, oh, you speak French. And then you don't realize you're agreeing that you want a shoe cooked up for dinner and you, you've agreed to have them shove it down your throat. <laughs> sure, yeah, we, we. Yes. We, we. <laughs> so... Just to mention one other opportunity for, at least uh, back to the U.S. firms, the U.S., I didn't realize this, has the second largest population of Spanish speakers in the world, second only to Mexico. Yes. Ah, Such an opportunity. But again, another thing I learned is that you write that Google provides its search ability in more than 130 languages. But mm-hmm. most companies are still providing information in English only. Uh, now, you don't recommend trying to handle all 130 languages from the start. No, no. <laughs> and this is a recurring theme in the book, I, I gathered. In other words, practicing sort of a triage of what to start with. Mm-hmm. Is it crash and burn when somebody thinks, oh, we've got to get our entire website in 130 languages? Well, I think they're going to crash and burn as soon as they realize the expense. Because if you think of the expense of building a website, now you're doing a completely, you know, other website in another language, and then again and again and again. Um, but there was a there's an episode on my um, the Global Marketing Show podcast where I interviewed a woman who worked for a company that's no longer around, but she said they were in the travel industry and they uh, tried to launch in a lot of places. They had venture funding and they went too wide too quick, mm. and so they ended up imploding because they didn't have the depth on the on the ground in the places that they were trying to expand to. So her, you know, what she came back with was we should have picked one, one area, you know, figured out the process, got enough traction there and then launched in the next area. So, you know, you hear enough stories like that. That's why I end up recommending it. Yes. And there are a couple uh, stories in the book that I want to talk about where you, to try to help, there are quite a bit of advice on where to start. Don't feel like you have to get the whole thing translated. Start with a few uh, areas uh, and and go from there. And I wanted to talk about you know you, we've talked about Google Translate. You know, machine versus humans. That's one of the the book chapters. Mm-hmm. And not too long ago, a listener in France, Olivier Guerin, who's become a friend of mine. He is a sales expert, and he's written with two other authors in France uh, a book on sales. Mm. Performer en vente. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, it's like I it's like I speak French. So he he sent me a copy of the book, and he says, "I know you don't speak French. My wife and daughter do." But I said, "Look." I would still like to do just a bonus episode with you just to talk about the book because this is so exciting and there seem to be a lot of listeners in France. And yeah. so I said, look, can you take the book and just you know run it through Google Translate and send me a PDF just so I can kind of get an idea? <laughs> and I wish I had read your book first because then I got the, the document and I was able to sort of see how it worked on the table of contents, uh-huh. but then I couldn't read it. It you know, I mean, as hard as as hard as Google, the folks at Google work to get these things translated, it just, I was completely lost. We still had a great conversation. I'll include a link yeah. to it in this episode's website page. But then you told an even better story, Wendy. And I want to quote from the book here. You write, Ken Khan, the owner of O Toys, called us for translation in an interesting situation. Sales of his building block marble run toys started skyrocketing on his website, and he wanted to know why. He followed the electronic trail back to a Japanese website that gave a highly positive review of the specialty marble run. Since he did not speak or read Japanese, he called you to ask for a translation of the website to find out what they were saying. And again, distinguishing between what he wanted and what he needed, you said, look, it's... You know, it's, it's, it's more than you need to pay. Why don't you just run that one particular – you don't need to translate your whole website to get this information. Just mm-hmm. run that one page through Google Translate and then, you know, see if that gets you any closer. So 
you gave good advice, and then he later became a client. He soon came back to us because when he ran the content through Google Translate, it said that his toys stimulated the, quote, ass part of the brain, end quote. <laughs> Wendy, I've read a lot of books about psychology and the brain, but I've never heard what, of What the, part is the ass part the of the ass brain? ass part of the brain. You know, sometimes when I'm reading these books, I'll make jokes in the margins, and your book, I, the jokes just wrote themselves, so... <laughs> Anyway, you guys. Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear that because yes. I wanted it to be edutaining, yes. educational, and entertaining. Yes, and uh, you have two teenage sons, and I'm a, I have about the same maturity level, so this really uh, resonated with me. Now, what the you guys later did a a translation of that page for him, and what it what it said was 3D block puzzles stimulate an area of the brain called the. Precuneus. Precuneus, which is responsible for understanding spatial structures. Interesting. So anyway, that just spoke to me, and I had to share this with several of my friends as I was reading, and I said, man, I can't wait to to interview Wendy Pease. But at the end of that chapter, you said you all consider Google Translate a gateway drug. What do you mean? (laughs) Well, when I bought Rapport International 17 years ago, I used to go to networking events and people would say, translation, who needs that? You know, so I'd have to give examples of the clients. And then 10 years ago, when Google came out, people said, well, isn't Google Translate going to put you out of business? And we yeah, kinda, like you were a travel agent 25 years ago or something. Right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, we kind of didn't know. We kept an eye on it, but business kept growing. And then all of a sudden, I've noticed in the past few years that people come to me and they say, we need that translation that, you know, really talks to the people and connects with them. I'm like, yeah, culturally adapted <laughs> translation, right. which is high quality translation. Yes. So Google, now people realize that, you know, people are people. We speak different languages. You can communicate across different languages. And they're, they're kind of sussing out the difference of when you use Google Translate and when you need to go high quality. Not, not... We're, there's still a lot of room to go because if you go on a lot of websites, they have the Google Translate plugin, and boy, you can yeah. get me started on that if you want me to go that direction. Oh, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> no, it's true. It's almost like it had – I could see why you call it a gateway drug because it gets people to – well, like me with that book that Olivier wrote. I was like, oh, yeah. wait a minute. Now I see the limitations here, and it – You've got some other examples here, and I can't resist. You write, uh, when Mitsubishi marketed its Pajero in Spain, they were embarrassed to discover too late that Pajero is slang for wanker or masturbator. (laughs) I think it goes without saying that the men of Spain did not line up to purchase that one. Well, I don't know, you know. Again, there's... There's always the niche, uh, Wendy. And then there was another one, uh, Peugeot in China. And yeah. in Mandarin, the spoken name of Peugeot means handsome. But in the dialect of southern China, it sounds like the word for prostitute. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm just yeah. putting that out there. So one tip you had on there that was great that you mentioned earlier was, you know, you don't, first off, you don't have to translate everything. Just take a few steps, but look at your website analytics to see This is a secret ninja trick, one of many she includes in the book. See if you already have business or traffic coming in from other countries. You can see that on Google Analytics. That'll give you some idea, you know, where you might be able to start and also what pages. And then the other thing that, I mean, it's just like when you have a website like we have for a client and you need to go back and tend to the content, right? You you have to go back and update things and see how it's going, but you don't have to do every page. Start with the most traffic pages on your website. Right. And, you know, quite often uh, the, the Pareto principles there where 80% of your traffic might just be 20% of your, of your pages. But there was also another uh, thing that warmed the cockles of my heart when you mentioned, um, talk about the big five questions to help determine the types of content that should yes. be translated. This is where you talked about Marcus Sheridan's book, They Ask, You Answer. And I am a big time Marcus Sheridan fan. He's <laughs> I on, am too. He's on the Douglas Burdett Man Crush list. And I've actually interviewed him about his first and second edition. And he's also got another great book about uh, video. And I was wondering uh-huh. if you could talk about those five. If not, I can tell you which page 
Yeah. Oh, I have his book right here. Okay. What talk yeah. about those those, those five? Because I've even had a, I've even attended training from him where he was yeah. training other agency folks on on how to do the, the the workshops. And this works even if you're not translating, folks. But <laughs> so a lot of what's in your book applies to marketers, even if they're not, you know, going to translate to another language. But I was, could you talk about those five? Yeah, sure. Is uh, I mean, he's great. I've I've met him a couple of times. I've talked to him. You know, I've talked in the book. I talk about him. I mean, I think his book is fantastic. I refer to it all the time. So big. He he says when people come to your website, they want to know the five the answers to the five big questions. Mm-hmm. So number one is about pricing and cost. And he gives a, a really in one of the sessions I was in with him at Inbound, he talked about how you write. You know the you have to cover costs somehow and if you're custom pricing then you can you know there's ways to talk about it so but if you avoid that on your website people will click away which yes. is very interesting and i've seen the analytics on his site he may have shown them to you where he shows that the pricing pages are always the most some of the most trafficked yeah yeah so we do you know we have blogs on how much does a translation cost and and uh, you know we we talk about stuff like that and be mm-hmm. try to be as open as possible about it so the topic number two is problems how to turn weaknesses into strengths so he talks about there's a certain kind of pool that his pool company does and the other one he doesn't and so mm-hmm. he talks about that and so of course talking about your weaknesses, you're going to point out your strengths. And so you can pull that in. So you you have to do that or people won't believe you because you're not talking the good and the bad. Right. Like he'll say why a fiberglass pool might not be the best purchase for you. Right. He's a fiberglass Mm -hmm. pool company. Yeah. Big credibility. Number three is versus and comparisons. Mm -hmm. How often do you go, you know, the best bakery near me, the best Chinese restaurant near me, Mm -hmm. the best auto body shop near me (laughs) and so it's the best so you do the verses and comparisons wouldn't that also be like google translate versus hiring a translation service like helping Mm -hmm. people to understand understand their options we have so much content on that Mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest thing that we compete against and i just shake my head um, but he also, his trick is that you take all the competitors you normally go against, you, in the first paragraph, write about you, you know, this is what we specialize in, this is how long we've been around, these are some of the clients we work at, you know, but we want to look at some of the other ones, and then you list them out, but all you do is you give their name, their location, and, you know, their size or something, so it's just a factual list, whereas you, you've talked about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know. And we've done that on our agency site. And the first time I did it, it was to show a client how it worked. And within two weeks, we were top of Google for, you know, the specific, you know, <laughs> agencies in this particular area. And that wasn't terribly important, but I just showed him, you see, here's how you do it. And he says, well, how come you don't list yourself? Because they're on my website. <laughs> So if you Google Richmond, Virginia pool companies, you're going to find his pool company. And he says, but I remember the story is that he never wanted to answer that question, but he said, you know what? I'm going to answer every question I ever got from a customer and I'm going to put it on there. Now he's, you know, he got past that. He is world. Yeah. The pool company still runs, but I don't think he's involved in that. He's world renowned. And if you ever see him talk in a big auditorium, I mean, he's masterful with the crowd. Oh, Absolutely. So I could see why you have a boy crush on him. <laughs> he lives near me, too. Oh, does he really? Not that he comes over, but, yeah. <laughs> well, he is. I mean, but that's what's so great about him. He's just down to earth. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's a nice guy. Yes, yes. And yeah. just a phenomenal communicator. And, you know, it's like everything I've seen him do or, or I've seen him write, I read it and I go, oh, man, it's like he's a year or two ahead of me. I, <laughs> Because I will have done everything wrong, and he will have two, and he'll say, look, this is the problem, and here's how you get around it. And it's just, yeah. it's great. I'm sorry. I got, got us off track. You talked about uh, – the fourth one is – Well, wait, wait. I have to let you know, he did write, write me a fantastic editorial review on Amazon. So if you go to our book page and look there, you'll see – Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I would enjoy that. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because he's talking, people have asked him for a book on global marketing or mm-hmm. translation, or and he says he hasn't had a go-to resource, so I'm the go-to resource. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, as Ali G would say, respect. <laughs> Yes, but anyway, back to Marcus. Topic four is reviews. Get reviews. Yes. Yeah, and then best in class is topic number five. Those are uh, terrific, and I would invite people to to check those out in his book. It seems like I'm recommending that all the time. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet, it's so counterintuitive for so many companies. And even in his second edition, he talked about how he's been hired – to speak at pool conventions, big ones, and he explains exactly what he did, and he said only 1% will do it. So, I don't know, you can lead a horse to water. Oh, sorry, another idiom. Now, let me- but that's the same thing with business people. I mean, if anybody's out there thinking about starting a business, share your idea with everybody and anyone and everywhere because it's that ideas are all over the place, but who can implement? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, there were just a couple other real tactical things I wanted to ask you about before we start to wrap up. And one of them that I just think would be helpful, and I, you know, obviously I didn't know these things. You write, we get a chuckle when people ask us to do a 12 page translation for next day delivery. (laughs) We like to ask, how long did it take you to write, edit, and finalize the document? So explain why you ask that question. Right. So people think that once we do all this work to write something, we'll just hand it over and they'll translate it and give it back. It's like a button you press, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've had printers tell me that, that people will come in and say, well, now can you push the the button and make it in a in Chinese? <laughs> yeah. And you say, oh, i sorry. I left my magic wand in the car. <laughs> Oh, I say, bring them over here. We'll we'll work magic and get it done. But um, you know, we've done some fast turnaround stuff. We we can do it. We can always take a big project and divide it out. But imagine if you know we were writing a book and you said you write the first half, I'll write the second half. The style is going to be different. Mm-hmm. It's you know you might use different words. So um, translation is interesting because it costs, on my light research, this is just from years in the industry and watching, that it costs about the same to write something as it does to translate. And here's the reason why. On the writing, yes, you have to come up with the ideas and you have to outline it and you have to get the thought and you have to edit it. Well, translation, you've got to do all that because you've got to make sure the message is appropriate. Plus, you have to be fully bilingual, mm-hmm. understand, you know, the references and the messaging in. So, you know, just a good rule of thumb is how long and how much did it take to write it? It's going to take about that long and that much to translate it. Yeah, I didn't realize that. And otherwise, if you don't take your time, make sure it's translated properly – you might run into the problem that Puffs started uh, experiencing when they marketed their <laughs> tissues in Germany. In German, Puff is slang for brothel. <laughs> I don't know about you, writes Wendy Pease, but I do not think I would want to use a tissue named brothel to blow no. my nose. <laughs> no. Ew, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. So... Jumping ahead, uh, search engine optimization, I didn't know about any of this. Explain what, and we don't can't go into all of it, but explain what you mean when you write, do not ignore SEO, translate it. Yeah, so you imagine you do, I mean, you're an expert on SEO, you understand it in English, and so you take all the time to do your keywords and, you know, how the content is and what people are going to search for if they're phrases. Um, so it takes a lot of research. Well, the same goes into the language because um, we'll get, we ask people to pull their keywords out and then we can give some options for what the keyword, because there might not be a direct translation. There might be multiple words, just like when you're doing your keyword research, mm-hmm. you're looking at multiple words or phrases that might work. So with translation, you want to make sure and do the same thing. Provide the list of keywords 
Um, and then you've got all your headers and your footers and your titles and your tags. You don't want to forget about that. Yes, you're right. Remember to translate all parts of your website, including keywords, expressions, tags, titles, anchor texts, script messages, image titles, and subtitles so that search engines can find and rank you in the target language. And then there's even the other things about the href language and the so oh, you have to tell them about what language it's in and mm-hmm. then if it applies to a particular country mm-hmm. you have to indicate spanish but then it might also have information specifically for peru for mm-hmm. instance just yeah it's uh, it's not something you can just you know again press a, a button just two other quick questions let's talk about videos mm-hmm. talk about what you should do with you know you, you produce these videos already and they'll say they're in whatever your language english maybe what do you do with your videos so that people can understand them what are some things that can be done to existing video well as any good marketer does is you look at who your audience is and you say what are they going to be using it for so if you're targeting a population that doesn't have a high literacy rate, you know, they're not good at reading, you're definitely going to want to put voiceovers. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing something that somebody may be watching at work um, and they can't turn the volume on, you put subtitles on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different considerations by age, by language, by, you know, budget. Voiceovers are going to be more expensive because you have to translate it and then they have the voiceover actor read it. And so we'll work with that. Um, but it, it's a it's a great opportunity. I mean, if you've ever watched TED Talks, they have the titles closed captioning on there. And that is, it looks like it's done live, but those are done in advance. And so they can stream the titles as soon as it launches. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So all this stuff that looks like somebody might be doing it live is no, you can do... Instead of training and doing it live, record it and then translate it and put the subtitles on, and then you've given access to the people, any you know, any of the staff members. I mean, that's a whole other book. The language of global HR or hiring non-English speakers. Manufacturers have a hard time getting employees here in the U.S., mm-hmm. and there's some manufacturers that have no problems because they've figured out how to hire non-English speakers and manage to that, not expect to teach them English. But they get great workers. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm full of information. Oh, <laughs> we're only skimming the surface here, folks. Actually, you don't listen to somebody who says, oh, we can't use our videos. They're in English. No, no, no. You you can. You know, you yeah. can certainly produce them in some other languages, but you don't have to, uh, what do they say, boil the ocean here to get started. The last thing I wanted to ask you about. Boil the ocean. You ever heard that expression? Boil. Yeah, I have. And I'm trying to think about how we'd translate that. Oh, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That would be a rough one. <laughs> I'm going to have to pay an idiom tax. But the uh-huh. one last thing, uh, one more landmine that you explain to people, like, don't step on this landmine. You write, in the Global Marketing Show podcast uh, and in research with product managers, I hear about avoidable mistakes. And the number one mistake is not being consistent with uh, naming and terminology. If you have one translator for your marketing materials, another doing the user interface, Mm -hmm. and a third doing the software commands, they might all use different translation for a single word. You see this more often than you'd prefer? Um, yeah, yeah, I see it. And sometimes I may not be aware of it because I may be working with, you know, not I say I, but that's the generous I with my team, my amazing team. Um, We may be working with one department, so we may not even be aware that it's happening. I just know marketing materials, but they're not in charge of like the user experience on the website. Yeah. 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 We had, I think I put it in the book. We we had a client, it was before I was around, it was the prior owner told me about it, um, that she had done all the translation for this company and they had toys. It wasn't Ken Conzo toys, it's Tomy. Um, and they shopped out the catalog that they were taking to a trade show and they went with a cheaper cost vendor and mm-hmm. they got to the trade show floor and all the salespeople were like, what toys are these? They don't match the Oh, that wasn't the, the book. That wasn't the book. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so I think it's a good example of, so that company hasn't strayed from us since because we even have their product managers calling us up saying, hey, we're re-releasing this SKU. Can you find the original content so we can edit it and update it? So we'll go back into our archives and pull it up and, and keep consistent. Yes, that's great. Okay, one last screw up. Braniff Airlines wanted to promote their upgraded leather seats to their Spanish-speaking markets using the same slogan that they were using in the U.S., fly in leather. The slogan did fine throughout most of Latin America, but in Mexico, the translation, vuela in cuero, gave a very different connotation. In Mexican Spanish, it meant fly naked. (laughs) While fly naked is memorable, it was not the intended message. I don't know. I mean, again, there's a niche, you know, uh, but I'm just, I'm just well, I think Richard there. Branson would have targeted that niche. Yes, if it really so was. <laughs> he could pull it off. He anyone, could pull it off. Yes, that's, that's a good point. So, Wendy, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Do not use the Google plugin <laughs> on your website. Call me and we can figure out an affordable way to meet your needs. <laughs> yes, yes. There was one chapter where at the end of the chapter, you, you recap some of the key points. And there weren't many on this one chapter. And it said, turn that thing off or something like that. <laughs> very, very clear. So that's, that's great. What is just one thing a listener could do today to get started, put in action one of the ideas from your book or maybe one that we've talked about? I think if you're in the United States, the best would be to go to our website, um, Rapport Translations, and go to the search bar and search grants and reach out to the state agency, the contact there, and inquire about grants um, and get some free money. And and, um, we can certainly help you figure out a budget. If you're outside of the United States, um, a lot of people already sell across borders. If you're looking to come into the United States, um, you can go check out softlandpartners.com. They've got um, right now virtual meetups in 19 cities with a bunch of people that are um, have high expertise in growing across countries. So it's a wonderful resource on on how to get connections to go into another country or enter the United States. Oh, terrific. Very, very actionable. And we'll include links to the uh, the websites, as I mentioned before. What books have most inspired your work and, and career, Wendy? <laughs> you know one of them. <laughs> oh, they ask you to answer. Yeah. You got it by Marcus and, Sheridan. <laughs> and you mentioned uh, the book Inbound Marketing by the founders of HubSpot. Yes, that? Yes, and you've talked about that um, before in your your show and your podcast, mm-hmm. so I'm sure that's a classic. And then the third one I'd say is traction oh, for yes. any business owners. I found that was very, very helpful. Absolutely, and I've read that a couple times. Uh, it really is good. And you actually, when we skipped over it, but we were talking about goals or objectives and strategy and all that sort of thing, you recommended that the reader read that book to get more in depth about that. Cause it's a little bit outside that your your swim lane, but you're again, trying to get folks pointed in the right direction. I could not agree more. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, really excellent. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading now that you've got time to read books again? Yeah. Another one um, is global dexterity. It's about how to um, build relationships across cultures. It's by Andy Malinsky, who's a professor at Brandeis university. Um, I've read um, a good part of it, and I really enjoyed that, so I found that was helpful. And then there's two others that I have on my table to read. I read like a, a book a week, so I'm going to oh. go broke now that I know about your podcast yeah. because I'm buying all these books to read. You should, maybe you should start a podcast. No, you've got one. So. I've got one. I've yeah. got one, yeah, the Global Marketing Show. Yeah, oh. so another one is The Accidental Business Nomad by Kyle Hagerty. He's going to be on my show um, probably this summer, but um, it's a survival guide for working across a shrinking um, planet. So with all the people working the nomadic lifestyle and virtual, I'm really interested to read how he ties that into the global. Yes, and actually I have a copy of that book. He sent it to me very generously, and it, it wasn't exactly right for mine, but it's perfect for your show, I think. And as well as right. many others, it really looked, it looked great. Mm-hmm. 
And then the last one that I am going to read is by Kusum Alawadi. She's a professor at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. It's called Getting Multi-Channel Distribution Right. Oh, interesting. Kusum Alawadi. Yeah, I see it right here. Getting Multi-Channel. Oh, it's published by Wiley. Wow. Yeah. So she she was another one that gave me a editorial review on Amazon. And then she said, oh, I just published a book too. And I was like, oh, she's good. I had her as a professor. She's fantastic. So oh, wow. yeah. I know her book will be good. A Comprehensive Treatment of Modern Distribution Strategy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, super. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, as I mentioned, we're going to include links to everything linkable. We've got a rapport translation site, a Wendy Pease site, you know, LinkedIn, all those kinds of things, all the books you mentioned. And folks, listen, just do me one favor. If you end up hiring Wendy's firm, Please mention you heard her on the Marketing Book Podcast because there might be a jar of salsa in this for me. <laughs> you bet. Yes. Your so, favorite kind of salsa. Yeah. You know, people say, why do you do the podcast? Well, you know. It's, salsa. It's like, yeah, salsa. So, But seriously, um, to the listeners, if you all, if you've gotten this far, do me one big favor. Please reach out to Wendy and thank her for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. As I like to say, there's over a million podcasts, and she's decided to spend some time with us. <laughs> I really appreciate that. It'll really make her day. It will. Um, and uh, these authors spend a lot of time on their books, and when they hear from somebody that that liked the interview or particularly read the book, they they really appreciate it. If you've got a question for her, I, I really get the impression she might answer your questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> Give her a try. So anyway, if, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is The Language of Global Marketing, Translate Your Domestic Strategies into International Sales and Profits. The author is Wendy Pease. Wendy, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, Douglas, thanks so much for having me. I don't think I have giggled so much on a call before. So thank you for keeping me truly entertained. (laughs) My pleasure. It's what I do. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. 